As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic yet, what are you waiting for, especially with sports back? Now's your chance to save 40% off on the first year of your annual subscription. That's only $2.99 a month. If you're a hockey fan, and I know you are if you're listening to this podcast, you would not believe the amount of comprehensive coverage across our site, not only with the 24 teams that were in the return to play tournament, but the eight teams watching from home. I can't convey to you enough how proud I am to be part of this large and incredible hockey writing team of dozens at The Athletic. So don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented hockey season. Subscribe now and save. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Late night, midnight on the interstate, and I didn't feel so great until I saw the city. Thanks, everybody, for joining here on this uh, very special The Athletic Minnesota Wild uh, Ask Russo Live uh, Zoom that we're doing. And this is also being recorded for my Straight from the Source podcast. So thanks for everybody. And hopefully everybody listens to that podcast. I'm very happy to be joined by our repeat customer on the Straight from the Source uh, podcast, Anthony Lapanta. It's been on dozens of times. And uh, Anthony's coming to us from XL Energy Center, they're, they're, um, the concourse level where he's been calling these games. I'm coming to you from my home here in Minnesota. Uh, the team is in Edmonton getting ready for game three, which right away creates a very uh, awkward, interesting, and uncomfortable dynamic, at least for me. How about for you, Anthony? Yeah, no question. It's, it's been a challenge. And calling the game off the TV monitor is a big part of the challenge. You're at the mercy of what they send us from Edmonton. So they cut to a shot in the corner of a couple of guys fighting for a puck, and, and that's all we see. We don't see anything that you don't see at home. So it's that part's a challenge. And I think for me personally, the bigger challenge is the content within our broadcast. So much of that comes from the interactions with the players and the coaches, and and it's not the pretty organized press conferences, which they're trying to duplicate now via Zoom, and, and those help. But that's not where we get a lot of our information for the broadcast. Most of ours comes from 
just casual conversations in the hallway or on the bus or in the hotel lobby and particularly in a playoff series when there's so many developing stories going on where you'd really just love a chance to pull an assistant coach aside and ask them about adjustments they made or things like that. So that part's really hard. It's hard being away from the team for this long and, and really being at the mercy of what you read elsewhere or what you hear in these, in these zoom press conferences in terms of trying to keep up with what the players are saying and thinking. That's been my biggest challenge as well. I, you know, and today's a perfect example. You know, after game one, where the Wilds shut them out, you knew it. We, you know, same goaltender, no changes to the lineup. Now they lose a game in a best of five, which makes things, um, you know, a little more tense coming into game three. And so you have Ryan Hartman, who's banged up. Um, and you have now suddenly where the Wild are the quote home team, and you wonder what the lineup changes could be potentially for today. Not only don't I get to ask those questions and use my eyes, which is half the battle, but you don't get to pull coaches aside. You don't get to watch uh, line rushes today. I'm going to be depending on a Vancouver Canucks writer and maybe um, from the athletic who's there, who's extremely capable, but he's got a team that he's got to pay attention to in Vancouver and see what their line rushes are. And, and now I'm asking, hey, make sure you tweet the wild. Uh, so it, it is extremely, extremely uncomfortable. Is that Jim? That's uh, Jim Peregrine, yep, our stage manager. He's making a cameo appearance today. Yep. Is he uh, right now, is uh, union break? <laughs> Are you on union break right now, Jim? No, I just got here. He just got here. So no, oh, yeah. about four or five minutes, he'll be on a union break. Yeah, Jim is uh, the uh, stage manager for Anthony. He's the one that makes uh, me look so great when I'm on uh, on uh, uh, Fox Sports North sometimes between periods. Um, Anthony, you know the other the other strange, strange thing about this whole thing is is the fact that um, you know the Zoom calls, which I know that you're you're on, but you're not asking questions, but. It's just, it's not organic. It's very hard. You have to almost, you get one question and you really, you're muted immediately. So there's, it's extremely hard to tell really quality stories when all of a sudden you are at the mercy of, all right, yesterday we're getting stolen Fiala. So it's really got to be what they're saying. You don't get to, after a playoff win or loss, roam the locker room, talk to as many people as possible. The other night after the wild loss, we only got Parisian Cunning, so you can't ask opinions of anybody else. No, well, that, obviously, that's a, a huge challenge, and and I know you know you and I are in similar roles, but different roles. Where for me, so much of I would say what my I don't want to call it prep work because it's not, but you're just building uh, a base and an encyclopedia of stories and ideas, and you build that over the course of the year. I mean it. I don't know what the number would be, but I would guess maybe a third of what we might talk about tonight is stuff that we actually talked to somebody that morning specifically about that game. Most of it is stuff that something happens in a game and well, a month ago I, I asked him about this or, or sometime recently I asked him about playing against this player or an early matchup against this team or something like that. I mean, the, the odds of it, it's not something that's a, hey, today I'd really like to ask Kevin Fiala about this and I get one question on a Zoom call. It's so much more is just the the little, the casual conversations and then the off day is where you get most of your work done because on game day, you might, there's more media around and you, you're a little bit at the mercy of what some other guys are asking and what guys' game day routines might be. And I see how you guys work after a game where you request, you know, three or four players or whatever and you have to, you have to get your quotes quickly to get your stories written. 
but for both, I know for you and I, and for a lot of others too, it's those off days in between where you get a lot of your work done because that's where the players have a little more time. You're able to, to just kind of wander around the locker room after practice. And, and even before you're watching the practice, you, the things they're working on, things individuals might be working on. And a lot of times that prompts a conversation. If you, hey, I was watching Darby work with this face-off player after practice. Well, now you might go ask him about it. And, and then you find out something that you can use that you would have never known if you hadn't been watching the practice itself. So there's, there's a million challenges that this presents. And, and, and it's not just for me. I mean, it's our whole crew. We've got one of the best in the business, uh, our behind-the-scenes crew, our producer and director are right up there with the best there are. And, and they, they're sitting in a production truck here in St. Paul, and they have to wait to see what the – it's Sportsnet, the Canadian feed that's producing the, the games in Edmonton, and NBC's producing the games in Toronto. Well, they're sending us a feed that they're supposed to be neutral, so to speak, so it's a world feed that both markets can use. But they've got announcers in the building up there inside the bubble. They're producing their show, and, and let's face it, we're facing a Canadian club. So right now their, their broadcast is geared more toward a Canadian audience. Yeah. Our guys are in the truck. They're trying to take that feed in, and we have one camera. We have one camera that's at our disposal up in Edmonton that if we say, hey, we'd rather talk about Kevin Fiala than the Canucks goaltenders, our director will try to get a shot of Fiala on the bench, but he's got one camera that he can try to do that. And, and we're really limited then with what we can put together for replays and packages on, you know, in a normal game, we might have a camera that on every single shift isolates Zach Parisi. So then our tape guy is putting that together. And over the course of the night, our analyst might say, Hey, I'd really like to show Parisi's work out front of the net. And he'll cut together four or five, six clips fast. Mm -hmm. but we can't do any of that. We're totally at the mercy of what the people in Edmonton produce for us and provide for us. And it's uh, so it's a challenge for everybody. And, and I think, you know, we're, I think we get a little bit better, a little more efficient with it each game. This will be our fourth run at it here this afternoon because we did the exhibition game against Colorado and then the first two and, you know, it gets a little smoother, but it's it's a totally new world of trying to do television. Well, I remember just watching Anthony, uh, the, the broadcast the other night, and you could tell that you and Wes were like almost on pins and needles, hoping that they would show the Ryan Hartman replay where Pedersen uh, hit him across the nameplate. And, and, but you don't have the ability in a normal situation to say, hey, Stro, uh, get, uh, get the Hartman replay. You're just praying that they're going to show it on your feed. And luckily, at some point, they, um, they did. You're listening to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Anthony LaPanta is my guest. This is Ask Russo, also live on Zoom. Uh, to subscribe to the athletic, theathletic.com slash straight from the source. That will get you in for 40% off. That's $2.99 a month. That's that's about $2 less than the Americano with like five extra shots of espresso that Anthony just brought into the rink. It's, um, it's, I promise. Uh, just one five shot Americano before the game. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, also we have tons of questions uh, that was uh, sent to Wild. Uh, sent on the athletic website and then we have this nifty little Q&A chat function on the bottom of your zoom that you could also ask questions as well um, let's get right to some of these questions uh, Anthony um which uh, wild player looked in the best hockey shape from game one who didn't look as sharp well that's a, a kind of an interesting question to me it was more noticeable when they started camp and came back after the pause was lifted and the team started working out. I noticed immediately, and it's not surprising, 
a couple of the smooth skating defensemen I thought were the guys who looked like they were in midseason form right away. Spurgeon and Brodine were the two that jumped out to me from day one at camp. They just looked like they were they looked like they hadn't missed a step and and I think both of them have played really well in the first two games of this series. And the most noticeable forward has been Kevin Fiala. He's been outstanding. But I think the I was really pleasantly surprised by when camp started. And I know you were over there too, Michael. I don't. I was pleasantly surprised that there wasn't one guy that I looked at and thought, "Boy, he looks like he hasn't been on skates since yeah. March." You know, I mean, they it it looked pretty evident that the the guys were had kept themselves fit, and it wasn't easy because. They couldn't go. These guys rely on coming to the rink to do their workouts and going to gyms. And, you know, so they were all just like the rest of us where some of them have talked to a few of them and and talked to the wild coaching staff a couple of times about they had to try to help guys get gyms set up in their house because they just don't work out at home very often. They've got access to the best facilities in the world. So they don't need a gym in their house. So they were trying to equip some of them to, to keep them going and give them workouts they can do from home and, but uh, I, so I thought to me, Spurgeon, Brodine, and Fiala were probably the three that jumped out to me that, that looked like they were just as fast and moving just as well as they were before the pause. Uh, this person says, when we win Thursday, who would be the best opponent to play? They'd have to win two more games, so Wednesday and Thursday or Sunday. Um, Anthony, who do you think is the best matchup of the Wilder in advance to play one of those teams in the, in the round robin? Well, in terms of matchups, that's a different question. I mean, to me, there's three teams that are that are at a slightly different level, and that's the Colorado, St. Louis, and Vegas. I think Dallas is for sure four out of four in that round-robin pool. So uh, for that reason, I guess you'd most love to play Dallas. Minnesota's always matched up pretty well with Vegas, so that, that would be an interesting matchup as well. They've, they've played them really well since they came into the league. But I, th- I think without a doubt, Dallas is fourth out of four there. Only Minnesota can't be the five seed. That's the only seed they cannot be no matter what happens. If Chicago hangs on and beats Edmonton, if Arizona hangs on and beats Nashville, that those would, they would both be seated below the wild. So Minnesota could climb to six, but whoever wins that uh, Winnipeg Calgary series would automatically be seated ahead of the wild. So the only team they can't play is the fourth seed out of that pool. And it looks like that might be Dallas anyway. So, I don't know. I mean, Colorado right now looks like they're playing really well. I'd say, you know, anybody except Colorado would probably be the best matchup for the Wild. Yeah, they're a much deeper team than they were. They're they're no longer really a one-line team, and their blue line is so much better than it than it was. Uh, they've done a really good job, Joe Sack. There, uh, somebody says, is anyone in the league kicking themselves about this Kaprizov uh, visa and travel fiasco? I wish this was funny, but frankly, it's embarrassing to watch. Hope he doesn't arrive just as the team is jumping on a plane to Minnesota. Um, you know, I, I mean, this really isn't the league's fault. And, you know, the way I understand it, it's not the Minnesota Wilds' fault. And I think that it's pretty obvious um, that when Dan Milstein, his old agent that he didn't get, uh, that he got rid of, um, was able to get his two clients here essentially two weeks ago and already out of quarantine and practicing with their team, it, it seems pretty obvious, um, um, you know, that, that, something uh, from the agent's friend got screwed up. And uh, I don't know what happened uh, yesterday yet um, with his consulate meeting in um, in uh, Moscow, but I completely agree with whoever asked this question that at this point, it makes no sense to bring him to Edmonton uh, because you don't know, um, he's got to fulfill a seven day quarantine. You just don't know when the wild are going to be done there. Um, so at this point, it, you're almost better off just, he's got his work visa, 
let them, when the Wild eventually get back here, bring them to Minnesota and have them meet his teammates, be, take aboard the press facility, things like that. Uh, somebody asked, regardless of when the winter, next Winter Classic is and when they have a full capacity crowd and atmosphere, will the Wild be the next team to host the Winter Classic? I would believe that the Wild um, would be the next Winter Classic team if the, if the uh, if our host, if uh, if that is winds up being, um, uh, you know, postponed uh, January one. Um, Anthony, um, any other things? Uh, this person asked any other things about uh, the broadcast situation, the setup, any other issues that you've run into that just makes this a bizarre situation? Um, well, it, every part of it's bizarre. I mean, it, there's moments where you kind of forget exactly where you are sometimes just because, you know, we wear a headset. So you throw the headset on, we can hear the natural sounds of the skates and the sticks and everything from the rink. And so it, once we start calling the game, it doesn't sound that different inside our headsets. What's surreal is the period ends, you take off your headset and we are sitting in an absolutely vacant XL Energy Center. I mean, there's like <laughs> seven of us here at the, at the production at our, at our production location and so normally during an intermission you take your headset off and you're in the arena and there's music there's something happening on the scoreboard you're walking around the press box and that's jammed with people and you know you have some interesting conversations sometimes here we take our headset off we look at each other and and there is not a soul in the building so it's there are moments like that where you it just it is it's bizarre world it, it really yeah. is and and then, you know, you're watching the games. I'm sure it's strange for the players because they're playing in arenas with no fans. But, it, like, for us, I kind of look at it, and it's interesting you brought up the Winter Classic. It kind of has the feel of an outdoor game when you watch it on TV yeah. where there's no fans right down by the rink. It's all the, you know, you normally would see the how, whatever they do to the grounds around the rink. So it kind of has that same feel to it. It's um, it's just – it's really strange. It's, it's hard to yeah. – describe all the little moments that have just felt like you're in a surreal world you can i can be calling this game from my living room you know i mean it's that's how strange it feels well hey uh that's what doc emmerich's doing on nbc right uh, every yeah, uh, yeah, Boucher, yeah Boucher and milbury are, are at the at, it appears in the bubble and uh doc's at his home in port huron um anthony let me ask you about last game um you know i'm always amazed when it comes to the playoffs you watch one game and how the next game is just completely different and everything the wild did uh, perfectly right in game one they pretty much didn't do in game two what do you expect here in game three um you know we don't know yet if ryan hartman's playing who would draw in if ryan hartman can't play and you know now the wilder the home team this should be the, t the time that dean evison and bob woods really get the edge in terms of matchups do you expect new lines today like maybe loading up that top line and putting parisi with stall and fiala yeah i don't know we'll have to wait to see it's it, it, for me if I would try to take advantage of that last change, I think, and and try to, knowing now that I could then manipulate who those guys play against, I would consider that. But since Dean Everson took over, he hasn't done a ton of line juggling. It's been no. basically the same four forward lines from the start. So I, there's a part of me that, that thinks, you know, I, I don't think he, I don't know how much juggling he'll do. Part of it might depend on Hartman's health. He said yesterday that everybody was available. So, and, and I don't know, there was so late in the game the other night that if, if it had been earlier, 
maybe we would learn more because Hartman may have been able to return. We'll have to wait to see for warm-ups today. That's one of those things we were talking about earlier, that not being with the team is, is hard not to be able to, to get a handle on those kind of things. I yeah. do think it'll be interesting to see if he goes, if he matches different lines. He's done more of matching defensive pair with opposing forwards than he has forward lines. But Eric Stahl's had a really tough first two games on the faceoff circle. And I wonder if maybe he tries to keep him away from Jay Beagle, who beat him 11 out of 13 times in game two, and try to do something where you at least let that top line start with the puck a little bit more often. Uh, the Travis Green went with the Horvat line against Erickson, Ekparisi, and Cunnan almost exclusively in the first two games, which surprised me a little bit. And that was a matchup that, that Minnesota fared fairly well in game one, not as well in game two. Those are the things that make playoff series so interesting is how you make adjustments. And, and I really think the biggest thing to watch today is just the determination. Now that Minnesota was, was clearly the more determined team in game one. And I think Vancouver was in game two. So, you know, today I think we'll get an early feel for which team has that. I think there was some desperation to Vancouver's game in game two. I think today we'd probably see both teams playing a little bit with, with more of that edge. And, and we'll notice that, I think, in the opening minutes of the game today. That uh, top line the other night, I mean, JT Miller, Wolf, uh, Elias uh, Patterson and Brock Besser, uh, they, they obviously were really, really good. Um, you know, Besser moving up to that line with the Foley injury. Um, Patterson's an interesting guy. Like, I did not realize how much, how hard he works. I mean, he is not just your prototypical skilled you know, European guy that's running around there that's undersized. I mean, he works his absolute butt off in a lot of ways. Kind of reminds me of Fiel from a work well, ethic standpoint. Yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't really thought about him in terms of comparing him to Fiala, but he, he does work hard and he plays the full 200-foot game, which is impressive. Yeah. And, and I, I'll never forget, I walked by him coming – he was coming out of the rink in Vancouver when the Wild were up there earlier this season – and I think they list him at 175 pounds, and that might be a stretch. I mean, he is a slight guy, a small yeah. guy, but it, but he doesn't play a miniature game. He's willing to get in, in the corners and fight for pucks, and he's a game changer. He's an electric offensive player, no doubt. But I think if you look at the two games, I think Minnesota has been better than Vancouver five-on-five five for the most part. But the challenge is they just haven't been able to score. I mean, they don't have a legit five-on-five -five goal yet in this series. Yeah. I know they have three what technically are called even-strength goals, but one was an empty netter and two were six-on-five extra attacker goals. I, Minnesota's got to make something happen five-on-five -five in this game. And, you know, I think they've done a pretty good job against Vancouver's top group. I, I know they scored in game two, but they were, one was a power play. One was kind of a fluky rolling puck early off the stick of Pearson. You know, one was that deflection by Pedersen out front that lands right on Besser's stick. I'm not sure if that was an intentional deflection. If it was, it was a brilliant play, but I'm not sure he even knew Besser was there. So they, they had a little good fortune, but that's the key. I mean, Minnesota has to be able to shut those guys down. And the way they were able to do it in game one was with their own forecheck. They were able to keep the puck down in Vancouver's zone, and that's the game Minnesota has to play here, I think, in game three. They've got to get back to working in the offensive zone and just keep make those Vancouver forwards spend their shifts defending in their own zone rather than easy exits out of their end and, and ability to create things in transition. Right. Um, got a question from uh, Reed here that says, do they have all the dashboard ads stacked up? 
uh, on top of each other and remove after each game? And do they uh, remove or reapply before each qualifying game for each home team? And the answer to that is yes, they're, they're, uh, they remove and, and reapply. Um, did these dashboard sponsors need to re-up for the Stanley Cup playoffs? And was this an extension of season-long commitment at each team's arena? I believe the former there um, that they essentially needed to re-up. Um, somebody asked me about how the Felino diary came about. In part four, just came onto our site, but this was just an idea that I had, you know, writing down story ideas for what I wanted to do once they were in the bubble and the fact that none of us can get in the bubble. Um, and, and, and we're sort of uh, at the mercy. Really what we learned about the bubble that we're seeing from uh, Chris, the Wilds um, video producer that's up there that's getting great behind the scenes story. And by the way, the Vancouver Canucks put out an incredible vi video vignette yesterday that showed uh, behind the scenes on how the equipment managers all work. and um, and I highly recommend people listen to that. But in terms of Felino, I mean, it was just one of those things. I text, I emailed Aaron Sickman, the Wilds PR guy, um, and said, hey, would Felino be interested in doing this? Could you ask him? And if, it, if that's the case, could it just be sort of me calling, you know, Marcus up and I'll sort of ghostwrite it? And that's exactly how we came about. Uh, you know, I'd, um, uh, Felino and Spurgeon were the two guys that I wanted to do it with. And Felino was the first person I asked, and he said no problem. And uh, basically, I call him every other day um, for that. Um, uh, let's see, Anthony. Um, somebody asked about what's with these camera shots from the press box rafters. Um, that's pretty interesting, right? You guys were supposed to have this, quote, all 12 feed that was going to be so this way you could see sort of the entire ice sheet behind the play, things that weren't in our camera angle that um, that maybe we see it at home. And I mean, the, from talking a lot of broadcasters around the league, that all 12 feet is absolutely useless, right? It is it's absolutely useless. And when we came here last Wednesday to do the exhibition game against Colorado, that was my intent. We They lowered the scoreboard here at XL Energy Center, I'll show you. So it's like down at like my eye level from my seat here. And they said, we'll lower it down and, and we can put the all 12 feed in the scoreboard. So that was my intent was to try and call the game off of that. But the problem is they basically have a lockdown camera that is, so it's pointed down at the rink, but it includes the scoreboard and those, the virtual scoreboards that you see when they show, you know, it's got the video going in it when the Wild are playing the Canucks. And so it shows all of that because there are some other markets apparently that wanted to use it as kind of like a beauty shot coming in and out of breaks. And so the problem is the guys were so, that was our intent was to call the game off that until warm-up started on that Wednesday. And all of a sudden the teams came out and I looked, I said, I can't, they're like ants. I can't see anybody. I can't, there's, I, I can't even identify the wild players. Because basically, imagine looking at your TV screen and having the rink only be the bottom half of it, how small that would be. Top half was scoreboard and empty seats and everything. So we immediately got on the horn to our truck and said, hey, look, guys, we got to just use the program feed, which is the, it's the TV feed that you see at your house. You'll see that camera from some of the wide angles. It's a robo camera that's, that they swoop down from the press box and it gives some some cool angles of the game but that is serviceable if your play-by-play -play guy can see the rest of the rink so when they cut to that and, and this isn't just this series I mean the it's kind of the Canadian style of televising hockey they cut a lot so 
if the play goes into the corner, they love to cut down to a low angle and show you the scrum in the corner. Or a, a player makes a play in the offensive zone, they love to show him skating to the bench to make his line change. It's just different styles. It's the way they do it. Power plays, they love to go to this robocam that hangs from the rafters and shows you basically the whole zone. Well, that's great if, for a play-by-play -play guy, that's great if I can see the play anyway and call it myself. But when I'm at the mercy of that camera, it's yeah. really hard. I can't tell which players are which. All you can see is who's left-handed and who's right-handed. So there's a there's a lot of things that make it challenging. And But there's also a part of you that's like, so many different things happening in the world right now. This will be remembered as the year we did the Stanley Cup playoffs in 2020 was the year we did it from an empty arena. I mean, it just added to the list of things that someday you'll tell a story of what happened in 2020 and people that didn't live through it would probably never believe you. No doubt. You're listening to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo to subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash straight from the source. 40% off. It's only $2.99 a month. Uh, Scott Burnside and Pierre LeBron are back on two-man advantage this week, and they have uh, New Jersey Devils goalie Corey Schneider, um, who's moonlighting as a guest studio analyst on NHL on NBC. He's joining that podcast, and you're going to see a ton of Corey Schneider because NBC has essentially changed things up. They were going to have Boudreaux and Babcock in studio, but because of COVID, they're not bringing anybody into that studio. So Corey's going to be on there a lot. I mean, Scott Burnside's also doing a daily playoff edition on uh, Two Man Advantage, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, so make sure you tune into that. And let's see, um, Jeremy Rutherford has a new edition of We Went Blues and is joined by the Athletics' Jesse Stranger this week. So definitely do that. Uh, back to Anthony LaPanta here. And Anthony, I know you have a broadcast to do, so I just uh, we need to hop off, hop off. We got a bunch of cute questions as well. Um, a lot of people are just saying that I look thinner. This is what happens when I don't travel with Anthony and drink four glasses of bottles. I almost said glasses, bottles of wine at dinner. Uh, this is me. You lose weight when you don't travel with Anthony LaPanta. Uh, well, it hasn't worked for You're me a bad that influence, way, unfortunately. <laughs> You're a bad, bad influence. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a challenge, no question about it. We'll get you back, though. We'll we'll, we'll adjust <laughs> back to life on the road quickly. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully December one when the 2020, yeah. 2021 season starts. Yeah. Uh, question from Dylan: uh, What is your greatest Minnesota Wild memory ever? Could it be a could it be a goal, a trade, a signing? What's yours, Anthony? Well, I'd have two, and the first one is the signing and the 4th of July, the, it was the summer I had gotten the job to be the wild play-by-play -play guy. And I'll never forget it. I was, we were, I was driving in a car with my wife, Margot and, and at least one of our daughters, I can't remember if they're both with us. And we were going to a beach on the 4th of July. And all of a sudden I got a call from John Stroh, our producer. And he said, Hey, your job just got a lot more fun for the fall because the wild just signed both Parisi and Suter. We need you to be at the rink in a couple hours for a press conference. So I dropped Margo and Gianni off at a gas station and called their friend, the friends we were going to meet at the beach and said, Hey, can you pick these guys up here? I got to race home, grab a shirt and tie and get down to the rink quickly. So that, that was before I ever even called a wild game. And then of course, game seven in Denver, Nino Niederreiter's overtime goal the highlight of any broadcaster's career to call yeah. an overtime in game seven of a Stanley cup playoff series was something. And that is the highlight of my broadcasting career. Yeah. The, the, I would actually go with the two exact uh, answers there. I, I uh, love the reporting aspect of Parisian Suter in that game seven, you know, uh, that I'm not kidding you. When Danny Healy made the saucer pass to Kyle Brodziak and I saw, you know, beeline out of his own end on the right wing, 
I, I almost started like packing up my bag because I just had this feeling that the Wild were going to score. And then when when Brodziak made the decision to actually pass the puck to Nino, I just saw like it, I remember just thinking to myself, if Nino shoots, this game's over. If he passes back to Brodziak, well, we're going to be here for a little more longer. And uh, well, remember, you had already written the Wild season is over story four times that night. Yeah, that was the that was the night when I got screamed at in the press box for coming over to you after the Wild tied it late on Spurge's goal. Yeah. And, walked over during the overtime intermission to just say, hey, did this change your story at all, Michael? And, and got the, what did I scream And everybody in the press box looks around like, what is wrong with this guy? Well, you know, the, the, the thing about that game is it's like, again, it's game seven. And so you really, again, when you're working for a newspaper, you have to have two stories ready to run. One, their season ended, one they advanced. So you're going back and forth, updating both things of what could happen and uh, yeah, I was a little bit stressed. Um, let's see, Nick Henry asks, uh, which road restaurant are you jonesing for the most at this point? That's a great question. By the way, Nick Henry is Russo's filter on, on uh, Twitter. Oh, nice. Which road restaurant is, what was the question? Are, are you jonesing for most at this point? Like which road restaurant do we miss the most? That's a great oh, question. Yeah, that is a good question. There's a, there's a few that, that are kind of regulars. For, there's a few cities where we bounce around and, and try a different place each time, but there's a couple cities where we go back to the same place. And I think the first one that comes to mind for me, uh, well, there's probably two, but one is I love Brico down in the north end in Boston. Yeah. Uh, there's also a, a great place down on the waterfront called Strega that I, I went to on our last trip out there that I really like. But um, I'd say Da Emma in old Montreal might be yeah. at the top of my list. It's a great yeah. Italian spot set in an old women's prison and the, the restaurants down on the bottom floor. And it is, we've probably yeah. been there, what, maybe three or Ten. four times oh, in the more last than four that. five years. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably uh, more than that. Well, Marco Scandella sent us, remember Marco Scandella sent us like two names that we had to try. One was that, one was another one. And then Marco came up to us one day. He's like, hey, uh, the other restaurant that I was going to send you to, uh, it was bombed. <laughs> well, yeah, well, he sent us to one that was a seasonal place. So it wasn't open. Yeah. Anybody, and so when I, I harassed him about it, you know, Marco's a, a fine Italian lad. And so I trust him when it came to restaurants for sure. And I went back to him. I said, well, this one's closed for the, oh, he said, oh yeah, yeah, they're only open in the summer. And he said, the place I'd really love to send you was, uh, it was, there was some, uh, might've been Italian a mob. mafia. Might have yeah, been a some mafia. mafia hit there and blew up the place. Um, John asks, it's kind of cool, but I'd love to hear about the decision to call the games from XL Energy Center. So, you know, um, I'll let you continue, but basically the way it works is nobody's allowed in the bubble, but the national telecast. So all regionals are, are doing it from home. And basically the choice that, Sports North had to make was do it from the arena or do it from your your uh, studio. But Fox Sports North studio, it would be pretty hard to do games there because you guys also do Fox Sports Wisconsin. You have Minnesota Twins, right? I mean, it just seems because all of all the hookups at XL Energy Center for the truck um, with the putting the jumbotron down, it, it seemed like a smarter decision and probably more cost effective to do it from the X. Well. It, it actually is more expensive to do it from okay. the X, but it's, it allows us to, the guys in the truck are now more in their comfort level. The, it's the same setup they have for a home game, other than obviously they're just taking a feed in from, uh, from Edmonton, but at least our graphics guys, our replay guys, they're, 
basically in a more comfortable spot that way. And socially, and they can socially distance a lot than a small studio, right, at, at, at downtown Minneapolis. Yeah, so there's a lot of factors. That's one of them. And you're right, our studio, I mean, we're actually doing things backward this year from a pre and post for Minnesota Twins games. When the Twins are at home, we do the pre and post game show from the studio just for that reason, because we can't have that many people in and around the truck. It keeps the pregame people in the studio. Then when the Twins are on the road, we go do the game from Target Field. So it's strange, but I won't see a baseball game in person this whole summer because normally when they're home, we do the game from the ballpark. Now we're doing it backward. But we also have the Brewers games, the Bucks games, the Minnesota Lynx games are all being produced by at least some of them by our crew. So it's a there's a ton of moving pieces. And our guys just said, you know, we think we can put the best quality broadcast on the air by doing it with a truck here. And it's not a – I don't know exactly how it's working, but I also know – that we're helping the radio feed in both cases with the twins and the wild because we provide them a feed now that's coming from and that's coming through our truck to to allow those guys to see a real-time video mm-hmm. feed from there so that's i know that was at least a part of the decision as well i don't exactly know all the inner workings of these decisions but i do know that it was it was more expensive for us to do it the way we're doing it but we felt like this was going to be the the best quality broadcast we can put together yeah. Plus, anytime you can help Kevin Faulness, he needs it. So that was a good right. decision by you guys. I'll try to help him. Yeah. Um, a couple more uh, minutes here with Anthony, and then if Anthony needs to go, I'll answer a lot of these uh, more hockey, uh, these bunch of these hockey questions. But somebody just asked. Um, a lot of people are asking, "What do the Wild?" Not to put you on the spot, Anthony, but what does the Wild do with Zuccarello right now? I mean, he's not been good in games one and two. He wasn't good during the regular season. Um, that second power play unit was abysmal the other night, and he's a big reason for that. Um, a part of me wonders if you need to move him up in the lineup and get him, you know, in more of a playmaking uh, situation than he would be maybe on the third line with Felino and Golden. What, what do you? What would you do? Uh, right now, I don't. I think I'd leave him right where he is, and and I he hasn't been great, but he was. He's not that far removed from one of his best seasons. I mean, last year was statistically his best scoring season when he got hurt. It makes the total numbers a little deceiving, but his pace of scoring was the best season he had ever had. And when he came back, he was great in the playoffs last year. So I'm not exactly sure, you know, why this year it just never quite got going. And, you know, maybe – Maybe when you go through an offseason in a training camp, you, you try to figure out a better spot for them. But right now, the way things are going and, and the way Minnesota's top six seems to kind of fit together, I don't think I'd mess with that and, and slide him up in the lineup. I think he's just got to find his game. And, you know, guys who have always scored tend to always score. And guys who have always been the 40 to 50 point guys always seem to land 40 to 50 points. I mean, it, it's it's funny how no matter – how hot a guy gets or how much of a slump a guy has, usually they kind of always land in about the same spot. And, you know, I, I think I'd just leave Felino where he is and it would be a nice boost if they got something from that second power play Mm -hmm. unit. But right now I just don't see a scenario where they get better by moving him up in the lineup and therefore taking one of those top six guys and moving them down. Yeah. My only thought was that, you know, I think that Parisi could use a playmaker and, and look, let's be honest. I mean, uh, Zuccarello might've been Dallas's best player in last year's playoffs. So that was my only thought for asking that question. Um, a bunch of questions from Aaron Heckman here. Let me find um, a couple. Um, 
Uh, you, you expect that Staloc's going to start game three, or would they shake it up with Dudnik or Kakinen? I can't imagine changing right now. I, I thought mm-hmm. I thought Al was good in game one. He didn't have to be great, but, you know, a guy gets a shutout. He, he made probably three saves that I thought were key saves in that game. And then I thought the way he responded in game two was impressive because, you know, the first shot of the game beat you, and I thought then he really settled down and played pretty well. I don't know that in – any of, the, any of the rest of the goals you'd look at and say, boy, that's one that he'd like to have back. I mean, I, I just thought he played – game two didn't go to Vancouver because of Al Stalock. And I, yeah. so if it were me, I, I would keep things going just the way they are. If, um, if Hartman can't play, do you expect them to play somebody like Mayhew or would they throw in uh, Nico Sturm or Victor Rask at wing? What do, you, what do you expect them to do? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm just going off of what Dean Evison said yesterday when he said everybody's available and that – I really wonder about it. To me, if we'd know more, if let's say Hartman had gotten dinged up in the second period and then not come back, I mean, it was only the last couple of minutes. So I'm kind of going off the assumption that Hartman will play just because of what Dean said yesterday. Mm -hmm. Uh, If he can't, um, I don't know. I mean, it it would probably make sense to throw a winger in there rather than a center, but, uh, but I I don't know. I'm, I'm just going off the assumption that he's going to play based on what uh, Evison said yesterday. Um, uh, definitely a couple more for you here, Anthony. Uh, one, uh, Matt S. asked, if COVID allows, will you guys be hosting a trip somewhere next spring? Any tips on how to talk my wife into agreeing that it would be a fun fun for her, too? Um, it is funny because I definitely would love to do another one, but the problem is we don't know what next season is going to be like in the timing. So it's like it's almost like we'd have to do it in this truncated off season, which obviously we can't do it because of COVID and next, next season could very well go into late in the summer when, at, when that ends, you're going to have either high school football or the Minnesota twins duties. So uh, I might be solo without you, but I'll bring Margo. Yeah. Well, uh, who knows what that's going to look like, but the short answer is yes, we hope to take a trip. And the longer answer is that it definitely would be, worth the trip for your wife the the people that have taken the last couple trips i think would i mean reach out to them i guess but boy it sure seems like they have a good time and and the if we can help convince your wife we're happy to do it but she'll have a a lot of fun on those trips and and it's i hope that we can make it work again and and i i'd be confident that it's somehow some way we'll be able to squeeze it in in between the end of the 2021 season and the 21-22 hockey campaign. Yeah, it's going to – I mean, this would have been your third, my fourth, um, and we were going to Budapest, Prague, and Vienna, this one. We've done, we've done Tuscany. We did uh, – the, which was amazing. That was your first. Then we did yeah. uh, Switzerland, Germany, and um, – Austria. Austria. And, um, and then I did uh, Scotland and, and – uh, well, that's uh, with defineddestinations.com, by the way. Um, here's a great one for you, Anthony. Um, this person says, if you can give an aspiring sports writer only three pieces of advice, what would it be? And, and you know, in today's day and age, Anthony, um, if you're going to be a sports writer, you have to do multimedia as well. So, that per, you know, this person, Aaron, who's asking this question, uh, if he's going to become a sports writer, he's going to have to do podcast, radio, TV. What, what, what are your three biggest pieces of advice? Because you, 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 
and a lot like me as a sports writer, you had to grind it out. You you were doing, you know, at you know, cable access TV, and I mean, anybody that's been a Minnesotan and been here for a long, long time knows what a young Anthony Lapanta looked like on on cable uh, doing high school games years and years yeah, and years. A lot less gray. Yeah, a lot less gray in those years. It was, yeah. yeah I mean, it, it the number one, it would be that don't expect to start out in the national hockey league. I mean, it, you've, yeah. you've got to be willing to pay your dues. And, and if you were, an, if you're an aspiring broadcaster, man, it, you have to, you have to do games. I mean, it, that's the only way that you can get yourself where you're capable of calling games is to do games. So I went and volunteered at, at public access TV for a couple of years. And, and I did any sport in for anybody that anybody would let me do. And then just, I think it's all about work and, and I, but I will be the first to tell you, I was just talking to Margo about this in the last couple of days, actually, that uh, when I talk to young people coming out of college or, or just starting out in this career, I'm the worst guy to ask for advice when it comes to how do you get jobs? I, I was terrible at getting jobs. I always felt like it was more important to be good at my job there. I knew a lot of guys in the broadcasting business that were a lot better at getting jobs than me, but I just feel like you got to make every game the big time. So when I was doing these high school games, I wanted every studio show to look like sports center. I wanted every game to sound like the seventh game of the Stanley cup. And it didn't matter to me if it was prep sports weekly in our studio, or if it was a girl's soccer game on tape delay on KABL mm -hmm. television, I wanted to make it sound like the seventh game of the Stanley cup. And I, and I really made a, an effort to work, to be good at it, to get the background, to do the homework, to talk to the coaches, to, to get what I could to make that game the big time. And I don't know, I'd like to think that that, that paid off. I know there have been a few times in my career where I've been fortunate that I got an opportunity just because somebody happened to be listening to a game I was doing that if I had given it any less effort, maybe that same result wouldn't have been the case. And yeah. so to me, those are the pieces of advice I'd give. Number one is never mail it in because you think what you're doing is a lesser level. And I, and I had, I met people that said, what difference does it make? I'm doing a tape delayed girls hockey game. And I, I just, that always seemed to bother me. And then number two is that if you want to do games, you have to find a place to do games. And if you want to be a studio host, you have to find a place where you are studio hosting. You, you have to, it takes reps, it takes time, and, and you have to be willing to do just about whatever anybody will ask you to do for very little pay for a long time. But I, I think it's worth it. I mean, right now I've got the greatest job in the world in my hometown. If I won the lottery tomorrow, I wouldn't quit. So it's, I, I think I've, it, it turned out and I got pretty lucky. Yeah, uh, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would definitely quit. Um, the, uh, you know, I, I, I completely occur with, I mean, a lot of things you said there just reminded me of, of um, you know, I still remember, uh, you know, covering high school cross country meets and, you know, and uh, swim meets and, and things like that. And, you know, I think that would be my biggest piece of advice is figure out a way to get your foot in the door. And then once you're in the foot, your foot is in the door, do anything you can, no matter what it is. Don't think that right away you have to cover the Minnesota Wild or the Twins or the Vikings. You have to work your way up. But patience is huge. Hard work and passion is definitely my second piece of advice. Much, much more important than talent. And then um, 
No, really, that, that to me, that's the biggest thing. And, and find somebody to sort of network with. Uh, you know, there's no um, you know, better thing than to ask somebody that's in that job right there questions like you just asked Aaron. A um, couple more if questions. If you're married, you have to find somebody willing to wait. Yeah, I was exactly. lucky Margo was willing to, to wait with no guarantee that we were ever – that was ever going to work out and you know that's that really is a huge part of it because you you have to it takes time and, and there's no it's not like when you go to medical school and you know when you get done that there's a there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow so to speak yeah. you know that when you get done with that that you're going to step into something you're going to be able to to make up for the money you borrowed then the time spent and everything i mean in this it was a ton of time on yeah the confidence and the hope that someday an opportunity would be there, but there was no guarantee for that. And, and so you have to have somebody who's willing to read in the paper that somebody else just got this job that you were hoping for and, yep. and not get too down about it and not give up. And, and it's, you know, the, if it, if it works, it works. And, and if it doesn't, you have a lot of fun calling games along the way. Yeah. Um, a couple more questions on straight from the source. Again, subscribe to the athletic, the athletic.com slash straight from the source, 40% off. Um, but I know that Stroh probably wants Anthony off this uh, zoom immediately. Um, uh, and actually I'm going to ask you this question and then I'm going to quickly go to my other screen and find like two or three more actual hockey questions to ask you while you talk. Uh, Zach Brown asks, when is LaPanta releasing a cookbook? It's a great idea, Anthony. Yeah, it's, we, We've actually talked about it as a gift for our kids, as now our kids are all getting to the age where they're moving on in life and, and about to embark in their own like adulthood. So Margo and I have talked about putting something together just to give them as a, you know, kind of a family favorites thing, all the stuff, all the meals they like to eat when, when they were still living with us so that they could take it with them and, and move on. So if we do that, we'll figure out a way to make it available. We, we sure have a lot of fun with it, and it's it, it really is interesting how much people enjoy it or seem to enjoy it, how many times I get asked about it when I'll meet people and they'll ask me, hey, how did you make this? I love seeing your food on this. And, you know, it, it, there's a part of me that always worries, like, I, we don't do it to try to be showy. We're just, people seem interested in, in what we're making at home. And, and believe me, there's been, it's a lot of it's been learned by trial and error. We've had more than a few meals that have flopped. And, and then over the time we've somewhat, we've adjusted and tweaked the recipe or the style or the method. And, and we're fortunate. We, we understand that. And we're fortunate to be able to have the kind of meals that we do, but we sure enjoy it. And, and I'd be happy to share anytime when people ask, I really do try to reply to them when they ask how you made it or what the recipe was. And, and just understand that if we're not precise, it's because we make it up as we go along. So sometimes mm -hmm. it's hard to duplicate. And I can attest that, the uh, you know, from somebody that's been to probably 100 to 200 dinners at your house, uh, they don't just look good on Twitter. They absolutely taste good. And what's crazy is the amount of money that you spend on all this food. <laughs> Like, I don't know how you do it because I never, I never, like, sometimes I'll come there, I'll have, like, a big ribeye and some, like, vodka pasta and some wine, and I expect to be handed a bill at the end of the night, but yet I just give Margo a hug and leave. Yeah. Um, well, it's, I appreciate it's, it's, um, it. we're fortunate, and we appreciate it, and it, to be honest, it's where we choose to spend our money, so it's, you know, we don't, we don't take a bunch of trips, we don't have, you know, fancy stuff in other areas, it's a, 
you know, we live a fairly modest life other than <laughs> where we like to spend our monies on our food. So it's food and wine and it, it's, yeah. it's been worth it. Jenny asks, um, asks what you, you know, about the ice quality. I mean, do you, have you noticed anything? I can tell you, I was texting with a player in the Eastern bubble that said the ice in the third game has been absolutely atrocious. And, and I was watching Jake Ensel. He scored an a empty net goal the other day that the puck never settled for like hundred feet. Um, have you noticed anything in, in Edmonton? The players are saying that it's actually holding up pretty well. Yeah, I've heard the same from the players. I, I was talking to Wes Walls and Ryan Carter about it a little bit, our two analysts here, and they they both seem to, to think they've noticed more that the ice has been lousy in the third game mm-hmm. of the day. And uh, Wes made the point the other night that both the Cunning goal and the Pearson goal, the puck kind of bounced up on its end just before the shot was taken and in both cases might have might have helped the, the puck beat the goaltender, actually. But... I how about, the, how about the first goal against Stalock, Anthony? That, that, yeah, that's what I mean. that was the first yeah, goal. Yeah, that was the one that uh, jumped over Ryan Suter's stick. Like, it was just crazy. Right. Yeah, that, that was the, the Pearson goal, the first goal of the game, and then the Cunning shorthanded goal. Yeah. It looked like the puck jumped up on him right before he shot it, too. But I, I don't think it's been as much of a factor as, as I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll see now as, as we get into really, I mean, Today, the Wild are fortunate because they're playing the early game, I guess, and then uh, tomorrow's game will be the, the third in, of the day as well in the West. So it could be a factor, but I, I really think everything that I've heard from inside the bubble and everything I've witnessed from outside looking in, the NHL sure has done this right. And for a, a league that has been looked at many times as kind of a make-it-up-as-we-go-along league and... I think they, they've put themselves right in the front of all the major pro sports leagues here. I think they've really done a tremendous job, starting with how the, the whole isolation policy and process, but what they've created for the teams inside the bubbles, I think, I think they've done about yeah. as good a job as you can imagine. Um, just a, a couple more hockey questions to you, Anthony. Um, do you see the Wild re-signing Galchenyuk, especially with their need at center and the fact that there aren't a lot of great options out there, at least in unrestricted free agency, not trades? Um, and if not, if, if not, I mean, would you consider bringing Miko back for a year or do you think this is probably it for him? I personally, I would prefer the latter to the former. I, I don't see how Galchenyuk fits with this team beyond this year. I mean, I guess we'll see. You never know what might happen the remainder of this campaign. I mean, if he all of a sudden had a great playoff, you never know. But I just, I don't think so. And, and to me, the Miko question is more interesting because he still fills a valuable role for this team. You know, he's, he's, I can't, I just can't imagine him playing for anybody else. So I really think it just comes down to what would he be willing to accept to stay here? And, you know, then you, then you got to look at what else fits because his role right now is probably the role that, I don't think he can handle a larger role the next couple of seasons. Let's just say it that way. So if, if he's your fourth line center and a penalty killer and a faceoff specialist, I would love to have that guy, but it depends on, you know, I mean, that guy has had a tremendous career and I'm not sure he's interested in, in playing just that role any longer. I, I don't, I, it's, I, I haven't talked to him a lot about it. I know you talked to him a little bit just after the trade deadline and, he seemed to play really well after that when the load of that and the pressure and the stress of that were lifted. So, you know, I think he still has, I think he's still capable of helping a really good NHL hockey team, but I just don't know if, I, I don't know if 
a role bigger than this is still in the cards for him. Yeah. Um, has there been any talks as far as uh, what the plans are for next season if we still have COVID issues? Um, I could tell you for a fact, I've been um, speculating this uh, a little bit lately, but I can tell you that the NHL is modeling the potential of starting next season in four hub cities, um, which would be um, problematic. <laughs> Well, I, I know that what from the beginning they've said the goal is and the key is to make this work is to do everything in their power to get 82 games in next season. And as I'm just kind of running through numbers in my head a couple times, if you get that started December 1, that means you're a month and a half behind schedule. So how late could you go in the spring? You know, maybe you go till mid-May instead of mid-April. That makes up one of the months. You eliminate the all-star break and the bye week, and that eliminates another 10 days. I think you could, I think you could do it if you start December 1st mm -hmm. and not really have to modify too much where your end point is for your season. And then the, the bigger question becomes to get 82 games in is, is invaluable because of two things tv money but then also in arena revenue and if the if you're not if you still can't have fans in the building or capacity in the building then you're still going to fall short of that so boy i don't know i mean it, who knows where we're going to be as a world at that point but i think right now the league is more focused on let's get 82 games in and start december one and whatever form that has to take to make that happen that seems yeah. to be at the top of their list okay um, uh, Anthony, you got to go or no? No, I just noticed my okay. partner just arrived. So it's, <laughs> it's an exciting time. Is he wearing socks today? Uh, let's see. He's got, uh, you have socks on today? Well, kind uh, of. Yep. Yep. I, I, I thought he was trying to look like his hero, Jason Zucker, the other day when I saw him on Fox Sports. Yeah, he, he, and, uh, he and Zucker used to go to style shows together and suits with yeah. no socks it just doesn't yeah. make sense to me but let's see last uh, couple questions um do you do you envision bill garen and lou lamarillo uh revisiting a trade involving zach parisi it's going to be interesting with a flat cap whether that happens um you know to me zach parisi is still their best goal scorer other than fiala i, I think that you better make sure you're getting a pretty freaking good trade back um and, you know a lot more than andrew ladd and and what what they were going to potentially get to trade yeah. zach parisi yeah. at the deadline it, I, I don't think there's any urgency to it from Minnesota's yeah. perspective. Let's just put it that way. I mean, I, I think the way I, I just love the way Bill Guerin has approached everything with this club. I, I love the way he came in and was, and spent some time evaluating everything from the scouting staff to the front office staff, to the coaching staff, to the players. I, I think he came in and was like, look, I got to learn for myself what, what we have here what the capabilities are, what the liabilities are. Um, I think the Zucker trade, while you know, a lot of us hated to see Jason Zucker go, I think was a, a great trade for the Wild and what it brought in return. And, and I just think he looks at most of this stuff with just about every option on the table. He doesn't have a preconceived notion like, well, I can't trade this guy or I have to trade this guy. It's, you know, is the deal right? Does the deal give the Minnesota Wild a better chance to succeed in the future? And I think he has an idea in his mind what a championship club looks like. And if a player is a piece of that, great. And if he's not, he'll figure mm -hmm. out a way to bring somebody better. And so I think, I think it's a long way around to say that I don't think he's 
just dismissing any potential trade, but I also don't think he feels an urgent need to this offseason. I have to revisit this and try to make this deal happen. By the way, I just noticed that the chat and the Q&A on the Zoom are two different things. And here's a great one on the, on the webinar chat. Terry Beer asks, if money was no problem, which current non-wild player would you like to see on the wild? For me, I'd go with McDavid in a heartbeat. Who would you go with? Well, I mean, if you just yeah, money's no option, you can just have whoever you want in the league. Um, and McDavid's the best player in the league, so it's hard not to say that. But I, uh, I'm a big Nathan McKinnon fan. I just, I think he's, I think he's a, a dynamite player. And you know, I, we'll see what happens with Connor McDavid here. I mean, I think it's interesting what's going on in that playoff series. He's got five goals in three games and yet his team is down two to one. And it's not like you're looking at this saying they're the Oilers are in trouble again because of McDavid, but it does make you wonder the lack of success they've had as a team for a player that has his individual skill set. There's, there's something that's missing there and I'm not sure what it is, but yeah. you know, it's hard to argue. I mean, he's the best player in the world. So it's, it's hard not to say he's the guy you'd want. Yeah. All right. Five more questions or maybe four. Uh, one, and I, actually I'll save this one for last cause I know what your answer is going to be. Um, uh, uh, given the aftermath of the Kaprizov immigration issues, would Billy Guerin be more hesitant to sign uh, Kaprizov? Um, would he known that he was not going to practice or get to meet the team at this point? I would say no. I mean, they wanted to just get it done to assure that he wasn't going to pre-sign the KHL, but you are 100% right that he wanted something for it, and right now he's not getting it. Um, depends how far the Wild go in the playoffs, but is there any chance any of these games will be returning to their respective cities like St. Paul, or will the entire tournament be played in Toronto and Edmonton? Right now, um, 100%. Uh, the the conference final and the Stanley Cup final will be in Edmonton. Um, the slotting for the upcoming draft work the same as a normal year by final position of where and when a uh, team is eliminated for qualifying round through the Stanley Cup playoff champion. Well, basically, again, at the end of this, every team that's not in the qualifying round will have a chance to win the lottery. And then those teams, by point percentage, that don't win the lottery would be 9 to 15. So after this is over, if the Penguins lose, they'll get a chance uh, to decide after the lottery whether they're going to defer the pick or not. And here's the last question I wanted to give to you, Anthony, because I know what your answer is going to be. Um, this person basically asked, um, do you want to see the Wild win this playoff series or go for the 12.5% chance to get a friend yet? Are you, is this a serious question? Yeah, no, I think, I, think so. I will say a lot of Wild fans, um, but when I did my poll a, a month and a half ago, uh, Wild fans, 65% of them voted that they wanted me in goal rather than Stalock or Dubnik against uh, against uh, against uh, the Vancouver Canucks because they want that number one pick at chance for them. They do not want to win the series and lose immediately. Yeah, it's I and I understand how fans look at it. I mean, they but number one, you have a one in eight chance to get that the number one overall pick if you lose this series and more so a seven out of eight chance that you don't, which means you're going to wind up picking in the middle of the first round anyway. And I think that when you're around the people and the team, there is no chance that anybody in this organization is thinking we'd be better off to lose. They, they want to win. These guys are competitors Look at Bill Guerin's eyes when we take a shot of him in his suite in his in the arena in Edmonton. 
and tell me that that guy's not intense. I mean, the intensity that you see there, you look at Dean Evason, he's got an opportunity here to be a head coach in the NHL for the first time. He's not thinking, boy, you know, if we lose this, we have a one in eight chance to get the number one pick. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys want to win and it's sports. I don't care if it's in an empty arena and it's in a qualifying round series, but you want to win. And, and I'm a, I'm a fan of the Minnesota wild, but I, it's, you want to win. You always want to win and you play to win. And if you're doing anything other than that, then karma catches up with you. Yeah. And I, I actually, I mean, I totally agree. Well, I trust me, I get what wild fans think that they want a top top game breaker in their lineup, but, uh, but I also want to cover the playoffs here. Even, even freaking remotely, which is just so uncomfortable. That will be the worst part if the Wild keep on going and going and I'm just stuck here in Minnesota and not getting – even though we have no access to the players face-to-face, you can't cover practices or nothing that really benefits to be there other than that two and a half hours that you're in the ring to watch it live. Um, it'll be very, very difficult for, I think, both Anthony and I to be back here. Um, Anthony, Wild Live, what time is that? And tell uh, everybody how they tune in tonight uh, today on Fox Sports North and tomorrow night at 9.45 p.m. for the golf draft. Yeah, it's a, so it's a 1 o'clock start for Wild Live this afternoon. Um, it's on Fox Sports North. Then tomorrow's game will be on Fox Sports North Plus. We'll have a 9 o'clock pregame show for Wild Live. And then uh, when the Twins game ends, the game will be on Fox Sports North as well. The Twins play at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. So if everything worked out perfectly, we'd jump right on Fox Sports North after the Twins game. But it will be on Fox Sports North Plus at the beginning, 9 o'clock while live tomorrow night and then a 9.45 face-off. So hockey after midnight, why not? You know what's hilarious? Every time you guys are on the plus, but I'm at the arena, all these wild fans tweet me like, how do I find the plus? And I always get like angry, and now I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, how do I find the plus? I'm going to text Stro when we get off and ask him how I find the wild game tomorrow night. On, uh, I believe you can still find a complete channel listing on FoxSportsNorth.com. Okay, yeah. Xfinity, if somebody can email me and tell me how the heck to watch tomorrow's game, I really do appreciate it. Anthony, uh, thanks for coming on. Um, as I always say, Anthony's got no heartbeat. He's got wild live here in minutes. He's not even in a suit yet. And he's just doing a freaking Zoom for the athletic, not getting paid a penny, by the way. Margo was so excited that you were doing this, by the way. She's like, I just love him working. I'm like, well, just to let you know, he's not getting paid. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm still out of the house, though. That's part of it. So the yeah, that is, is one uh, part. Me getting out of the house is the other part yeah, she loves. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, thanks for coming on. And again, uh, thanks for listening to this uh, Ask Russo Live here on Zoom. And for listening to this podcast, check out the comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Straight From The Source on Apple. And don't forget to click on the show URL, which is theathletics.com slash straight from the source. And you'll get 40% off your subscription. Thanks, Anthony. And get some uh, get some socks for Ryan. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. Uh, enjoy the game today. Go wild. Yeah, thanks everybody for watching. Yeah.